and welcome back to Phonication, the podcast dedicated to spilling the T-Rex. I'm your dynamite host, Jack. Ugh, that was even lamer than I usually am. But today, I'm going to try and keep it cleaner because of the topic and a common demographic interested in the topic. So let's see how I do. Actually, I just thought about some of the things that I wanted to discuss, and I'm not going to be able to make that work, so never mind. <laughs> Obviously, today, I'm going to regale and horrify you with facts about dinosaurs, and maybe some speculation, and maybe some more terrible puns. We'll see how this episode devolves. <laughs> Are we going to talk about Jurassic Park? Probably. Well, I probably will. I assume you won't because if you're replying to things that I say out loud, that's a little off-putting. Like, I don't even take breaths long enough for you to say anything. Anyways, moving right along, dinosaurs is a broader topic than I usually do episodes on. Generally, I narrow it down to species, or at least like a family, but not today. We're going to cover an entire clade. The only narrowing down I'm going to do here is that I'll specify non-avian dinosaurs. So for the uninitiated who didn't inhale every single book in the school library as an insufferable know-it-all and then obnoxiously tell every adult you ever met that their impression of a dinosaur is wrong, and then smugly tell them every single dinosaur fact you memorized regarding feathers, let me clarify. There are two groups of dinosaurs. As I just mentioned, there are non-avian dinosaurs, so naturally the other group is just called avian dinosaurs. The less cool name for avian dinosaurs is just birds just birds. Non-avian dinosaurs are the dinosaurs that everybody thinks of when you talk about dinosaurs. The T-Rex, the raptors, the plesiosaurus, the epidexipteryx, and the scansiopteryx helmani. You know them. But you don't know them as well as some people do, because you don't know them carnally. If you've ever wondered what it was like to have sex with a dinosaur, you're not alone, apparently. <laughs> you're not in great company, but at least you're not alone. A woman from Devon, England, home to the Jurassic Coast, was visiting a children's park that had a bunch of life-size dinosaur statues, which is really cool. And one of them was a three-foot-tall fiberglass baby T-Rex that had recently been decapitated by a bunch of asshole teenagers being vandals and shit. And she looked at that presumably sharp T-Rex neck hole and mounted it. Fabulous. Like, come on, lady, that just wrecks your vagina. R-E-X. Rex. The pun is in the spelling. And like an idiot, which is expected considering she mounted a fiberglass dinosaur esophagus, she posted pictures of it so the police were able to track her down. <laughs> so I definitely don't recommend doing that at all. Don't ever do that. <laughs> if you are going to do it, don't post pictures of it. But if you're still curious about it, but are scared of being in jail as the dino fucker inmate, there's a safer route. In my adventures on the internet, I came across a lot of dinosaur fucker erotica. Like, enough for there to be a whole dinosaur erotica Wikipedia page. That is a significantly more popular genre of literature than I had anticipated. I was <laughs> admittedly very tempted to read one in particular which had unjustifiably high Amazon reviews out of a sense of, like, morbid curiosity. But it was $3 and only 19 pages long, which is too many dollars for that few pages. Although I don't think I would want more pages. That's probably already too many pages. <laughs> Although it actually is surprising to hear that the authors who contribute to the genre aren't pushing out war and peace length books. Like, give me the Silmarillion, tell me the intricacies of tribal conflicts of different caveman communities and their complex relationships with the local dinosaur deities. Honestly, I feel like with a lot of these sort of, you know, amateur author, quote unquote, type of books, they tend to be really flowery and have a lot of details and history and... I guess I find dinosaur erotica lacking in that regard. <laughs> 
And by the way, in the interest of being factually accurate here, because this is a, you know, at the end of the day, a biology podcast, there was no overlap between dinosaurs and cavemen. So even ignoring a lot of other logistical impossibilities, it wouldn't have been possible for cavemen to diddle the dinos. A caveman could not have been a Triceratops's Triceratobottom. So anyways, <laughs> I read the reviews instead of the book because ya bitch does not have three whole dollars. Here's your spoiler alert if you plan to read it. Apparently, a huntress was never able to get wet from human men. She just never got turned on from them. Because I guess actual cavemen are just not beastly enough to pique her interest. Even though one of the cavemen is walking around with his wife's severed foot for god knows what reason. This bitch's BDSM kink is so deep you could deck her in the face and she'd just sigh and ask if you have a hammer. She needs therapy. So, one day, T-Rex moves into town, right? And while the tribe is fleeing for safety, she distracts the T-Rex to follow her instead of the tribe. And I guess watching this big, strong T-Rex doing its best to brutally massacre her and managing to eat her mother, she finally gets horny for the first time ever. So she fucks it. Now, <laughs> that description alone is making me want to spend the $3 and actually read it to see how accurate that review is. Although I think a better investment would be to get a dinosaur costume and surprise my boyfriend in bed but nothing I've discussed so far is a good representation of actual dinosaurs. So let's finally explore that. Starting with the main issue regarding dinosaur sex, does science even know how dinosaurs fuck? The answer is no. Science does not. But science does have a lot of educated guesses. The problem is that soft tissue from dinosaurs being preserved is very, very rare. It's not impossible, as some people say, but it's a lot rarer than fossilized bones are. And for the soft tissue examples that have been preserved, a full set of reproductive organs is not one of them. But science isn't as clueless about dinosaur lives as all of those posts on the internet about paleo artists giving the dinosaur art treatment to baboons and swans and hippos would have you believe. Those posts make it seem like scientists don't know anything about dinosaurs aside from just skeletons and then slapping skin on top of the skeletons. Not true at all. But going to a museum and looking at a skeleton of a dinosaur it's hard to imagine that we would know anything more about them than their skeletal structure. I mean, think if you saw the skeleton of a living animal. Could you tell from skeletons or exoskeletons that, for example, cats have pointed ears and they like to purr? Could you tell that turkeys have ball sacks on their chins? Could you tell that bats echolocate? Unless I suddenly have some very overqualified people listening to this episode, no, you probably can't. But somebody can. Someone who I assume has significantly more patience than I ever will can reconstruct the larynx of an extinct animal and calculate the sounds that would result as different airflows pass through it in order to find out how that animal would sound. It's kind of like that scene in Jurassic Park where Dr. Grant uses a resonating chamber to make velociraptor sounds, but better, because the plastic mold in the movie isn't able to move the way that muscles in a larynx would, so it's not really accurate, but it's a movie, whatever. <laughs> And I'm going to glaze right over the whole Velociraptors being super tiny and the raptors in the movie being based off of the Deinonychus raptor, because at this point, everybody knows that. I think that dead horse has been beaten enough. By the way, where the hell did that phrase come from, beating a dead horse? Pinatas? Anyways, vocalizations aren't the only impossible things that paleontologists have flaunted in the face of reality and reasonable expectations. It turns out melanin can be fossilized, and the shape of the melanosomes can be analyzed to determine what color dinosaurs were. Basically, okay, in super, super simplified summary, mostly for myself, different types of melanin, such as eumelanin or pheomelanin, have different shapes, all the way down at their chemical structure. 
Those two types are actually the ones responsible for human skin color too. Researchers at Virginia Tech and the University of Bristol were able to confirm the correlation between the shape of the fossilized melanins and their color shades. So now we all get to know that some dinosaurs have countershading where they're dark on top and light on bottom, and some dinosaurs were red or black and white, and the Microraptor was a blue-black with an oil-like sheen, kind of like some ravens, or the Keihangjuji was iridescent like a hummingbird, and the Sinosauropteryx was ginger and had a white ring tail and a raccoon's bandit mask. Still waiting on confirmation of purple dinosaurs though, to determine if there's, you know, any sort of scientific basis for Barney ancestors. I'll let you guys know if that happens. Aside from just generally being cool as fuck, just knowing how dinosaurs were colored gives science a lot of insight into their behaviors because there are some loose rules that have stuck around and still apply today. For example, brightly colored small dinosaurs were likely colored that way for sexual attraction and were likely less concerned about predators, so sticking out really wasn't a hindrance to their survival. We still see that in birds in every single nature documentary that has ever existed, which makes sense since dinosaurs are just old ass birds. Also, the countershading that I mentioned. There's a huge biological advantage to being dark on top and light on your underbelly. When sunlight from above hits an object, obviously it'll be light on top and dark on bottom. I think we all know how shadows work, why am I explaining? But if your natural coloration is the reverse, it makes you look flatter and more difficult to perceive in the environment. It's really simple but super effective camouflage, and it tells us a lot about what the animal biologically values. In a lot of prey animals, like gazelles, that countershading camouflage translates into not getting seen and eaten. And when you see it in predator animals, like sharks or cheetahs, it's to help them sneak up on their prey before the strike. So when researchers discovered that the giant 1.3-ton herbivorous armored Boreolopelta had countershading, it indicated that it was biologically advantageous to be camouflaged from predators, which means that this giant spiked tank of a dinosaur, which looks really similar to an ankylosaur, was prey. Somebody was going around and eating what was effectively an 18-foot-long armadillo who was armed with knives sticking out of its body. That's fucking scary. Although, gonna guess here based on timelines and area, it was probably a T-Rex. Speaking of the T-Rex, arguably the most famous dinosaur in the world, actually, not arguably, it just, let's be real, it is the most famous. How much do we actually know about the T-Rex? Well, I assume that's where all the paleontology funding is because holy fuck, we know a lot. We know they had a top speed of only 17 miles an hour, but preferred to walk at just under three miles an hour. And even that an average T-Rex's stride length was six feet long, they also couldn't properly run since at least one leg had to be on the ground at all times. So they power walked instead of ran, I guess. <laughs> the average human walks at 3.11 miles an hour. So feel free to pat yourself on the back for being less lazy than a T-Rex. Go ahead and T-flex on that T-Rex. Unless you're one of those slow walkers that I'm constantly stuck behind, you would get eaten and you would deserve it. We also know that it has the strongest bite force of any terrestrial animal in history. We know that they grew really slowly for the first 14 years of their lives and then entered a massive growth spurt where they nearly tripled their size in just three or four years. We know based on areas for muscle attachments, the teeny tiny little T-Rex arms were actually very, very strong and their biceps were three and a half times stronger than the average humans and could curl about 430 pounds. I, on the other hand, can't curl more than a TV remote and that still makes me cry. So I think we can assume that a T-Rex would win in an arm wrestling competition, even though it only has 40 degrees of movement. 
We even know that they had insanely good vision, which could absolutely see you even if you were standing still, that is a myth. If we bring them back, don't just stand still. <laughs> they actually have a binocular range of 55 degrees and can see as far as 3.7 miles away, which is more than a friggin' hawk, who are famous for their eyesight. So in the future, when Jurassic Park is real, if a T-Rex escapes, yes, it can 100% see you, but you cannot walk it, so definitely leave the area at like a smart pace. Don't just stand around waiting to get eaten. But even if you were hiding from it, they had a sense of smell comparable to a vulture and had the best sense of smell of any dinosaur that's ever been tested for that. So it's definitely gonna smell you. But even if it couldn't, it also had really good hearing. And I mean, there's a reason that it's an apex predator, you know, it relied on this shit to survive. Of course it had good senses. The only limiting factor here is speed, which is still crazy to me that a human could just run away from a dinosaur effectively. Well, this dinosaur, not all dinosaurs. But thinking of that, you know, Jeep scene in Jurassic Park, that's pretty crazy. Moving on to all the other things that we know, we even know that the T-Rex had one of the largest dinosaur brains relative to body size, which means they were probably smart as fuck. Which makes sense, honestly, because turns out the T-Rex might have been, to some extent, a social animal who hung out with the family during daylight hours because we see evidence of dinosaurs with injuries that would have been fatal for animals who don't have packs that have instead healed, which means they likely had to be taken care of and nursed back to health or they would have starved, not like some lone nocturnal stalker. And social animals require a lot more complex brain functions, especially if they're gonna hunt in packs too, considering their prey is usually dangerously spiked and requires a lot of communication to hunt effectively without getting yourself killed. Studies have been coming out with evidence that points towards pack animal tactics, but not enough yet to conclusively say, fuck yes, T-Rexes were dinosaur wolves. Another thing science doesn't know for sure yet, and apparently is hotly debated, is whether or not T-Rexes had lips. I assume if they did, they weren't soft and suitable for dinosaur erotica books. But anyways, I bring all of this up to explain that paleontologists are able to look at things like muscular attachments and coloring, environments where the dinosaurs lived, sensory organ cavities, causes of death and stress fractures and all sorts of things, and it gives them this glimpse into the everyday life of a dinosaur. The same way that you can look at the autopsy of a human and determine that they probably had a desk job and an inactive lifestyle because certain markers indicate that, versus a lot of you know, stress fractures on your shins might indicate somebody who ran a lot. Which means based on those biological markers and also the behavior of modern animals, scientists have a pretty solid idea on how dinosaurs reproduce. Like I mentioned earlier, quite a few dinosaurs were brightly colored and they probably did all sorts of you know, dancing and lecking and general tomfoolery to attract mates. And I can already hear David Attenborough narrating a dinosaur dance in my head. <laughs> although not all dinosaurs. Turns out the T-Rex had little to no sexual dimorphism and probably did things a little more uh, efficiently. <laughs> it's even been proposed that their tiny, super strong arms are used for holding onto their mate while they do their T-Rex best at having Tyrannosaurus sex. <laughs> that was a reach, but I'm not sorry about it. <laughs> There's also indications that a lot of dinosaur species fought viciously over mates, like a triceratops locking horns with competitors and synraptors biting off faces which unfortunately has not evolved out of modern animals either. Paleontologists also speculate that some things like extra long necks for the apatosaurs, which used to be the brontosaurs, or extra frilly horn arrangements or whatever type of ornamentation might have also been for sexual selection, like a gold chain, I guess. The most exciting thing is that paleontologists have managed to reconstruct a dinosaur cloaca, 
which is basically a pouch where animals keep all their downstairs organs. Lots of modern animals have one, especially birds, but essentially it's a one-stop shop for sex, laying eggs, urinating, and pooping. Oh, man, if I was gonna be formal and say urinating, I should have kept it up and said defecation, not pooping. Speaking of poop, fossilized poop is called coprolite. But back to the cloaca. Jacob Vinther and his team at the University of Bristol reconstructed that cloaca and discovered that dinosaur cloacas didn't resemble bird cloacas, even though they're so closely related. Which means the bird version of sex, called a cloacal kiss since male birds generally don't have penises, wouldn't happen. The cloaca they reconstructed showed it was closer to a crocodile's cloaca, and likely made it more similarly to them, which would mean that male dinosaurs actually do have penises and engage in actual sex rather than just, like, rubbing fronts, which is what birds do. <laughs> he also noticed that the dinosaur cloaca had two flaps that resembled crocodilian cloacal flaps, which are used to cover up their musk glands. So if that's the case, then we can assume that dinosaurs had a thick scent that they used to attract mates and kind of give their medical history, which that actually is the attractive part. The smell screams, hey, I'm super healthy and would make healthy babies, please fuck me. And then everybody swoons. And it also means that butt sniffing the way that dogs do was probably a thing in dinosaur social circles. Another awesome thing about this reconstructed cloaca is back to melanin. It had a shit ton, not on the inside, but on the outside, which means it had a lot of pigment and stood out from the rest of its body. Because nothing screams fuck me like colorful genitals. Maybe it was so that nobody would get lost? They would know exactly where to stick it. I wish we could choose the colors of our mucous membranes. I would pick like a dark royal blue for sure. So the unfortunate part here is that while science can tell us the intricacies of dinosaur cloacas and that most dinosaurs reached sexual maturity early and became teen parents, the actual mechanics are still difficult to tell, especially for animals like the Stegosaurus. They have sharp plates sticking upward, so doggy style isn't really an option. <laughs> Unless the male isn't a wimp. The main hypothesis right now is that the female laid down on her side on the ground and then the male kind of steps over her, like perpendicular, squats down, and then goes in from that angle, <laughs> which I enjoy imagining. The other hypothesis is that the two lovers just kind of backed up their butts into each other <laughs> and presumably started twerking. Some biomechanics experts believe that some of the giant dinosaurs, like the Brachiosaurus, made it the same way that modern elephants and rhinos do, doggy-style mounting and the female having to bear all of that extra weight but possibly with one leg thrown up over the female since dinosaurs had those big, thick, sturdy tails for extra support. Which sounds super weird, but turns out modern crocodiles actually do that too, so that they can orient their pelvis and kind of turn it into an angle where their cloaca is closer to the female's cloaca. So to explain that as something a little more familiar, since a cloaca is just a slit between the dinosaur's legs, it's not too different from the positioning of a human vagina. If you wanted the human vagina to get flush against a surface or another vagina, you can't just approach it as is. Unlike a human penis, it's not at the front of your pelvis, it's at the bottom. So if a human lifts up one leg, it angles the pelvis to where the vagina is closer to the front instead of the bottom, and then you can kind of make your approach that way. Although that probably wouldn't have worked for animals with spikes and shit because castration is not evolutionarily advantageous. Well, actually, quite a few animals engage in self-castration, although at least animals like mollusks regrow them, but not all of them. Anyways, another theory is that T-Rexes, rather than dealing with trying to maintain balance while having sex, just sat down for it. And the female got on the male's lap, because turns out the Tyrannosaurus was capable of sitting down. 
I never really thought about that. Unfortunately, science isn't certain about that part yet. But hopefully Jurassic Park will become a reality and we'll get to find out for sure. And yes, I am very pro Jurassic Park. I don't care that the dinosaurs escaped in the movie. It wasn't a dinosaur problem. That was a security problem. They had one person in charge of security for all the dinosaurs. If you can spend a gazillion dollars on reanimating dinosaurs, you shouldn't be cutting spending on employee manning. Or at the very least, don't be surprised when that singular, overworked, underpaid employee takes a bigger payday. Like, what the fuck did you think was gonna happen? Anyways, before I start a rant on the movie series, both angry at it and in love with it, I'm gonna end the episode here and bid you guys adieu with a dad joke. Which one of Santa's reindeer is a dinosaur's least favorite? Comet. Fuck, that was a good joke. I love you guys. See you next time. Bye.